battery keeps flipping out. Well, we believe for wisdom. Oh. Oh, that's no fun. I've had that happen before. Glory to God. All right. Well, it's prayer and healing school. We just prayed. If you join us online and you need prayer for healing, uh, reach out to us online. You can either message us on Facebook or send us an email, call the office, any of that. We're happy to stand in agreement with you uh, for healing. And uh, if you, you know, you, somebody's on your heart, family that needs deliverance uh, during prayer uh, for healing, we actually pray for deliver for people that need salvation or rededication because if you're living out there in the world, uh, you need your mind, your thinking, your emotions healed. Uh, so that falls under healing as well. Um, so uh, we just prayed, and we know that God is working. Uh, if you didn't join us on this morning service, we've had actually a wonderful testimony come in today. Uh, a sweet lady that we've been praying for that's a mother of a couple of boys. Uh, we've been praying for her for her uh, breast for breast cancer, and we got the report this morning that she is in complete remission and that she, and that she is healed. So praise God. We thank God for that. Um, I real quick before we get into tonight's lesson, I want us to go to Second Kings chapter eighteen. Second Kings chapter eighteen. I made a miss uh, uh, statement last week, right there at the tail end of service, that I just want to clarify. Um, you know, uh, and not what, and not everything that I said was exactly wrong. I just it, Hezekiah is not one of the guilty kings. Uh, in the Old Testament, it was very common uh, for the kings. You know, they Israel had good kings and bad kings, and it was very common for uh, the bad kings to just get rid of everything, and so they would worship only him. So in Second Kings eighteen, in uh, verse four. Um, well, I need to be, <laughs> yes, so Second uh, Kings uh, chapter 18, we actually want to start in verse 1 and just read a couple of verses here. Uh, it says, now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, uh, the son of Elel, king of Israel, uh, that Hezekiah, the son of Ezhu, and which was the king of Judah, began to reign. Uh, Twenty and five years old uh, was he when he began to reign. So many people say, well, I'm young. I can't be used of the Lord. Listen, at the age of 25, Hezekiah became king of the nation of Israel. And, and he was not the youngest by any means. Um, but what's amazing to me is I just got to looking at this today is um, I was looking to see, you know, if the if the Bible ever gives us like a direct um, number of how many Jews there actually were, and in Numbers chapter one, it talks about um, it talks about a, them taking a census, and when they took the census, you have to understand that they only. Um, they only counted the, not even just the men. They actually only counted the men that were of. Um, I was just going to see real quick if they, if it gave me the right exact number. And uh, they only counted the men that were of um, well-bodied 
uh, for war. And um, I'm looking at the numbers here, 7,000, 20,000. Uh, so in verse 45 it says, So were all those that were numbered of the children of Israel by, the, uh, by their house um, or by their fathers from 20 years old and upward that were able to go forth to war in Israel. Even all they that were numbered were 600,000 and 3,500. So 600,000, 3,500. So, oh, 550. Uh, Numbers chapter 1, verse 46 is where we see the number. So it's 600,000. 355. So, um, now, and again, this is only those that were over the age of 20, but not every man over the age of 20. It was only those over the age of 20 that were actually able to go to war. Uh, you know, and, you know, we know that when they came out of Egypt, that none of them had any, that none of them were feeble or sick. But just because somebody's not feeble or sick doesn't mean that they're well able to go to war. They've got to have the physical statue, different things like that. So when you take this number of 600,000 plus and you realize that this is only the men over the age of 20 that are actually able to go to war. This doesn't include the older men. This doesn't include the children. This does not include the women. This does not include any of those people then we understand that Israel was the, the nation of Israel that came out of Egypt and that went through all of the Old Testament, that lived under the time of Moses and lived under the time of the kings and the judges, that these were, there were probably easily, we, and we're probably running the, guess, the estimate low, probably between two and three million, easily. And like I said, we're probably running that number on the low side. So, uh, you know, when you, when you stop and you think about Hezekiah, uh, and he's the head of Israel, of, the, of Judah, um, and he's got, you know, this number of people under him, uh, you know, that kind of, that's pretty impressive. Now, if I can get myself back to Kings. Uh, oh, I was already there. <laughs> Kings chapter 18. So he was 25 years old, verse 2. So Second uh, Kings chapter 18, verse 2, 20 and 5 years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem. So Hezekiah <coughs> was a king for 29 years. Uh, his mother's name also was Abai, um, the daughter of Zechariah. So this is giving us the lineage of who he is. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. Now that confuses some people. It was, David was not his father. David was actually like his great-great-great-grandfather. He just comes out of the lineage of David. They were letting us know what lineage, lineage he comes out of. And it says this. It says that he removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces uh, the the brazen serpent that Moses had made. The point that I was making last week was that from the time of the desert to the time of Hezekiah, uh, they had kept this 
this uh, uh, serpent on a pole. You know, this is how long they had kept it in front of them. But as things happen over time, they went from <clears throat> keeping their eyes on on God and on what God had placed to give to keep them safe, put in place to keep them safe. They turned it into an idol. And it says, cause it's, and we know this because he said. Uh, he break into pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. And he called it Nehushtan. Uh, Nehushtan actually just simply means a thing of brass. So it had gone from being a symbol of the great physician, the healing power of God. It had gone from being a symbol of God being with them to nothing more than an idol of worship. And if we're not careful, we can make our Jesus today nothing more than an idol. Uh, in fact, many people make him nothing more than an idol. And when you make Jesus nothing more than an idol and you treat him as an idol and you treat the things of God as an idol, uh, that can bring sickness on you. Uh, and that actually takes us right into some things that we're going to see in the healings that we're going to look at today. Um, uh, so I just wanted to point out that Hezekiah was actually not a bad king. He was a good king. He wasn't one that was about, you know, um, destroying things and so that he could be lifted up. He was actually working very hard to get Israel back into actually worshiping uh, the one true God and not idols. Um, and so that's an important thing there. And then today, we're going to actually look at um, we're going to look at the last healing in the book of Torah. We're actually going to go to uh, Numbers chapter 25, and we're going to pick up here in verse one. And uh, this, this will go right into why Hezekiah uh, was not okay with the idols. <laughs> so Numbers chapter 25 is where we're going to go. Hello, who took Numbers? Where are you at? That's Elizabethicus. There we go. My pages weren't wanting to turn. All right, so Numbers 25 and verse 1. It says, In Israel, so the nation of Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Now, when you read that, you immediately think that the Israel men were sleeping with uh, the daughters of Moab. And by all means, some of them probably were. Um, however, what this actually means is that the Israelites, while they were there in the city of Shittim, because uh, notice it doesn't say, and the men, it says, and the people, and the people. So this was, this was a, a multitude of people within the, within the nation of Israel. They began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. So what this means is that they began uh, to worship the the pagan gods of the Moab of the Moabites, um, and the Moabites were um, they were not part of the twelve tribes, but they are direct lineage of uh, of um, Father Abraham. 
when you trace back their lineage, actually uh, where the Moabs come from is a very interesting story. Um, uh, but um, they just were not in a good place. They were not in a good situation uh, by any. So uh, the Israelites started to get into idol worship. Uh, they were um, getting themselves into trouble. And uh, we'll read here. And it says, and they called the people onto the sacrifices of their gods. Notice this is the little g gods. So here the Moabs, the Moabs called for all of their people uh, to come and, and do their sacrifices onto their gods. Uh, and it doesn't specify what they were sacrificing. Uh, they could have been sacrificing animals. They, in some of these uh, pagan countries, sad to say, they sacrificed children uh, to their gods. And, uh, but it says that they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. So they would sacrifice these uh, uh, things to their gods, and then after they you know, killed the animals and sacrificed and poured out the blood and burnt the meat, uh, then they would eat the meat. And that meat was, was in a, through a worship service, was dedicated to their god. So uh, the, that made the meat unholy and unclean. Um, some did. Correct. 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 Absolutely. Uh, for those that don't hear that didn't hear the recording, she asked, "Did you just say that they're eating that they were eating children?" The reality is, is that is some of the things that happen in pagan worship. When they would sacrifice animals, they would sacrifice their children. Oftentimes, the children that were sacrificed were the ones that were conceived in their worship to their gods, which is why they uh, sacrificed them. Um, and then they would uh, kill the animals, kill the children. Uh, they would um, pour out the blood. They would... Uh, burn the meat, and then they would eat the meat of whatever it was that they sacrificed. Uh, and uh, so in verse 3, it says, and, and Israel, talking about the nation, joined himself onto Balpura. Balpura. Uh, Bal and so who, here is who Balpura is. Balpura um, was actually... Uh, let me go here real quick. I mean, because I, I want to give you the definition correctly. Uh, let me go back to wherever here. Do, 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 do. Um, Vapora is, uh, that was the name of one of the pagan gods. And, he, and, and he, his name actually means the Lord of the Gap the Lord of the Gap, or the Lord of Holes, the Lord of Holes. Uh, and if you, if you think about this, that, you know, uh, where's G, where is uh, the seat of demons in a giant hole? Um, and then um, the problem with this is this was a deity. This is the deity uh, that they worshipped at Porah, at a city, um, and most of the times when they worship, more than likely, their worship included um, lascivious writs or lascivious rites 
which are basically sexual acts done, they're, they're, they're uh, ceremonial acts or religious acts, but they usually involve a sexual act of some type um, in, in, in worship to their gods. Um, they called it uh, licentious rites. Uh, so, you know, in churches today, you know, we talk about, um, you know, people, people will, you know, say, you know, uh, well, let's get, you see this largely with like uh, Catholics, you know, they'll say that they want to give them last rites. This is a ritual that they do when somebody uh, is dying. In other words, it's, it's, a, it's a regular practice in worship to their God. That's what this rite is. Um, and when it came to worshiping uh, Baalpura, um, most of the time it include, li- included lasciviousness, which was uh, just deplorable sexual acts of certain types um, in worship. And it says that Israel joined, her, joined himself um, onto Baalpura. So this was not, you know, Jacob's name got changed to Israel. And if you don't understand the flow of the Old Testament, you'll think that this was Jacob. But Jacob was gone long before this ever happened. Uh, so when it says Israel joined himself, he's talking about the nation of Israel, the people of, I- of the Israelite nation. And it says, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. I think so. Um, so, uh, you know, and I was just talking about with Hezekiah that when we get over into idol worship, that this angers the Lord. That this angers the Lord. Um, and, and the reason that God referred to it as whoredism, uh, as, whore, as being um, a whore to him, says that they committed whoredom. Now, that, when you look at that word whoredom, we automatically get that idea of sex. But basically, it means to commit adultery or I really like this definition because it explains it so much better. It means to be a cult prostitute. A cult prostitute. In other words, you're prostituting yourself. You're selling yourself out for the pleasure of a God other than the one, God, one true God. Um, and it's showing unfaithfulness. That's what that whoredom actually shows is they were showing unfaithfulness to the God who was taking really good care of them. And the Lord said unto Moses, now, you have to understand, because when I read the next verse, some people are going to say, see, the Old Testament God, he'd just kill you and not think twice about it. You have to understand Old Testament time. You have to understand that in the Old Testament, the only way God had to protect his people was to remove sinful people from the presence of his people. Um, Because his people did not have the Holy Spirit like we have today to tell us, um, don't mess with that, don't get involved with that, don't touch that. Um, and And they didn't have that conviction on the inside like what we have today. So the world operated very differently. And so the Lord said this, the Lord said unto Moses, take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. Now, now God didn't say, just go in to the whole nation of Israel and kill all of them. No, 
He said, take the heads of the people, meaning the heads of the men that were involved. The heads of the men, because it was the men that were held accountable. Take the heads of the men um, and hang them before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. Now, that sounds horrible, but these men... That these these men that had gotten into this um, hordism with God, uh, and it may have been the women. He doesn't specify. It very well could have been the women, um, because the because he did say the nation and he did say the people. But typically in the Old Testament, when they're giving you numbers and things, they're talking just the men. Uh, but and it says, notice that it said, and hang them before. The Lord against the sun. In order for them to be hung before the Lord, this means that their heads had to be hung um, where the temple was. Where the temple was, because that's where the presence of God was, was at the temple. Uh, Listen, don't mess with God. I'm telling you what. And it says, And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men. So this clarifies it for us. His men that were joined onto Balpour. In other words, he, he told them, he said, listen, you judges, you know who's in sin. You know who's steeped in this. You know who has embraced these, this idle behavior, who has embraced this hordism. He told the judges, he said, go get them and, and hang them, hang their heads. And behold, one of the children now... We don't understand reverence and respect of God today like we should. We really don't. We really don't. So I want to draw you a picture. So Israel has sinned greatly against God. They're committing sexual sin before the, with, with uh, other people. They're worshiping other gods. They're eating sacrificial meat with, to the other gods. They're creating this work. They're having This is all going on, and God says, I'm done with them because, honestly, the judges should have handled them before it ever got that bad. Honestly, before, before, the, before Israel ever got to that level, uh, mo, uh, the, ju- the king and the judges should have already been handling this. So they have to be hung uh, before, in order to be hung before the Lord. This means that, they, that these people that are being uh, killed because of their great sin, uh, that this is... This is taking place at the temple. This is taking place at the tabernacle. And I, and, and I guarantee you that all of Israel was called to the tabernacle uh, to witness the penalty for this level of sin. Now, we say it's a penalty, but really we understand that, that in light of the New Testament, we understand that the judgment of God is his love in action. Because you're going to see, when we look at the numbers here in a minute, you're going to be like, but that was so many people. But when you're talking that the tribe, that Israel was millions, and if God didn't eradicate, if God didn't literally cut out this tumor of sin out of the nation, many, 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 many more Israelites could have turned away from God. So the only way in the Old Testament... For God to get sin out of the camp of his people 
was to literally cut it out, which is why he said cut off their heads. So here they are, all of nation, all the nation, the entire nation of Israel is there outside of the tabernacle. They're seeing the judges take these people and hanging them or hanging, maybe they're hanging just the heads. I, we don't know. It just says hang them. It just says, it says hang them up. Uh, it, says ta- it says take all the heads of the people. So it sounds like their heads were cut off and hang them up before the Lord. Do what? Yeah, yeah, the leaders, so the leaders are all doing this. And, and then look at verse 6. And behold, one of the children of Israel um, came and brought onto his brethren a um, Midianite-ish woman. So this is, a, this is a Midianite woman. And the Midianites, uh, not Mennonites, but Midianites, now these people... These were some very interesting people. Uh, you have to understand who these people were. Um, I want to tell you exactly who they were. Uh, they were from the tribe of Midianites. Uh, like I said, they came out of um, the lineage of Abraham, but they were not part of the covenant at all. And... Uh, so these were, this, was, this was another, um, how can I say it? This, so this, she's not a Moab, Moab, but she's from another group of people that um, were very much into uh, pagan worship. They were very much into sexual sins. They were, they were very much so into this. And it says, and behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought onto his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel. So while this is going on, can you imagine this? While these people are being uh, killed for, for their hordism against God, this, uh, this Israelite comes strolling into the congregation, basically comes strolling into the church with his other pagan woman from another tribe, from another uh, land, from another area of people, and he comes strolling in in front of Moses, in front of the judges, in front of the entire congregation of Israel, and he's like, he's basically flaunting this pagan woman before them, and it says, cause, and, it, and it says, in the sight of all of the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle at the congregation. They are, I mean, he's, he's blatantly coming to the house of God with his blatant sin. This harlot, exactly. This, this other whore. He's coming in and he's flaunting them before them and he thinks nothing of it. This is how deceived he is. He thinks nothing of it. When Phineas, the son of um, Eleazar, and the son of Aaron, the priest, so this, so Phineas is Aaron's grandson. Now, think about this. Aaron worked with Moses. Aaron saw all the judgments that they went through. Aaron uh, was one that died in the desert, and this is his grandson. Do you think his grandson might have heard a few stories about the judgments of God? I think he heard a few things about it. And he was trained, and I'm quite sure that he was trained in the priesthood, 
Uh, and it says, so he says, and I love this. He was like, I'm sorry. It says, and when Phineas saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a, drive, a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent. Because this man, this man took this, took this harlot, traced her, just, just, I mean, he just, he just walked her and flaunted her in front of the church of the living God and walked her into a tent for them to have their way with each other. And Phineas, Phineas was like, I am not having this. So Phineas follows them into the tent. I thought we're talking healing school. We are. We are. Phineas follows them into the tent. It says, he saw it. He rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. Verse 8, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both them through. The man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. At that point, the people that were that were um, that were being killed because that, they were still in the process of killing the the people that were steeped in sin, because Phineas just Phineas did his job. Phineas said, "You are not going to commit sin in the house of God, in the presence of God. You are not doing this." Phineas exercised judgment. And when he exercised judgment on this Israelite man and on this uh, Midianite woman, uh, then God said, okay, you don't have to kill anymore. My, my wrath has been paid. My wrath has been paid. Now let's look at what the, how the Lord responds to this and how many actually died. It says, and those that died in the plague, now that word plague, now that sounds really weird. Those that died in the plague. This word plague means a strike or a blow or a, um, hand, or a correction. See, the people that, were, that God said, take their heads, hang them before the Lord, they were receiving correction of God. That's what they were receiving. Because they were, he was, he was, he was giving the, he was basically correcting all of Israel and not just those few men or few women. He was correcting the entire nation. And it says, and those that died in the plague, so the desert plague does not always mean sickness, especially in the Old Testament, but it can mean a strike or a blow. How much do you know uh, when you lose your head, that's a strike or a blow? Um, was stayed from the children of Israel, and those that died in the plague were 24,000. 24,000. I, I was trying to picture 24,000 people in my head. I was trying to picture that, and I was struggling. So I did, I did a little bit of research, and I looked some things up. If we took five Greyhound buses or five coach bus or five, if we took a Greyhound bus or a coach bus and we filled it full of adults, we could fit between 47 and 50 into that bus. We would need 500 buses to, to collect 24,000 people, 24,000 people. Now that sounds like a huge number. But when you're talking 24,000 to cut the sin 
out of two, three, four, five million people, um, that's actually a very small number. It's actually a very, very small number. Um, and it says, and he went, and, and uh, it says, and the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Phineas, the son of Elzer, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel. This tells us that more than 24,000 were steeped in sin. Because how much, because how much do you know? When Phineas, they're, here they are, they're, they're, they're I mean, if it wasn't enough to get your attention that 24,000 heads are hanging in front of you and they're still going because there was that many people steeped in this sin, um, when in the midst of this, here comes an Israelite with his harlot and goes into the tent and doesn't think about it, and Phineas gets up, one of, the, one of the ministers gets up and grabs a javelin and goes running in there and pierces and, and, and thrusts the javelin into the Israelite and the woman, uh, don't you think that that got their attention? Don't you think that the rest of them went, this is not okay. This could be much worse. So one way to obtain healing is to confront sin. One way to obtain healing is to confront sin. One way to stop sickness is to confront sin. So if you have sin in your life and you're also dealing with sickness in your body and you need healing and you're just like, well, I've been praying and believing the healing's not coming, you need to confront that sin. You need to confront it with the fervency that Phineas confronted it. Like we are cutting this sin out. We're not doing this sin anymore. This sin is not acceptable. This sin is gone. Now, uh, thankfully, we're under the New Testament, and thankfully, God doesn't have to work that way on us anymore. Uh, but um, this is a very good way of understanding you really don't want to have sin in your life. You really don't want that. Um, you just really, really, really don't want that at all. Um, and And the other thing that you really want to understand is... It's amazing how much people, do you understand that these people did not have any fear of God? They had no fear of God. At this point, the Israelite nation, the Israelite nation knowing what their fathers and their grandfathers came out of, they had no reverence for God. No respect for him whatsoever. And when God said, um, I'm over this, when God was over it, he was over it. It's very dangerous to not have reverence and respect for the Lord um, at all. And now uh, there's uh, Psalms 106 talks about this just a little bit. Let's look at Psalms 106. Uh, it talks about it just a little bit. We're going to go to Psalms 106, verse 28. It kind of gives us just a little bit more input. Uh, Psalms 120, or I mean Psalms 106, verse 28, and here it says, "And they joined themselves unto Belpor." Listen. Another way to get sickness out of your life is to get idol worship out of your life. If you have, if you have joined yourself with idol worship, if you are, if you are giving, if you are worshiping other gods, if you are worshiping horoscopes, if you're, if you are. 
uh, entertained by uh, horoscopes and ghosts and you're embracing that, if you're embracing um, the tree gods and wizards and all that, then you are playing with, uh, I, that's all forms of idol worship. Anything that you put in front of or before your God is idol worship, and that idol worship can bring sickness upon you. It can actually bring death upon you. That's what we just read. It says, they joined themselves also onto Belpora and ate the sacrifices of the dead. That's lovely. That's lovely. And it says, thus, they provoked him to anger with their, <laughs> with their inventions. Uh, this is not good. And the plague broke, uh, and the plague break in upon them. Listen, people think that they can just, oh, it's just fun and games. Idols are fun and games. To throw my sin in the front of, in the face of God, it's all fun and games. It's no big deal. At some point, I'll repent. At some point, I'll get it right. You can push God to the point that God says, no more. Don't do that. Honestly, that's why some Christians go out of here prematurely. It's because they push God in idol worship. And God removes his hand of protection and Satan moves in. It's not good. And then it says, verse 30, it says, Then stood up Phineas and executed judgment. Listen, one way to get sickness out of your out of your life is to execute judgment on your behaviors. Execute judgment on your behaviors. And so the plague was stayed. So the plague was stayed. Verse 31, and that was counted unto him for righteousness. Test, test. There we are. Test, test, test. All right. Go back to Numbers 25. And I want to pick up right here in verse 11. This is the Lord speaking. He said, uh, he's speaking to Moses. He said, Phineas, the son of El Elzer, and the son of Aaron, uh, the, uh, of Aaron the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, uh, while he was zealous for my sake um, among them that I consumed not the children of, El, of Israel in my jealousy. Listen, our God is a jealous God. He does not want to share our love and our affection and our attention with anybody else. This is not, this is not, you know, and we hear that, oh, God's a jealous God, and we automatically think of wrong jealousy. There is a right jealousy in that God wants to, God will protect us as much as he can God wants to provide for us as much as he can. God wants to have a relationship for us. And, and God was moved when Phineas said, oh, no, you're not going to treat my God like that. You are not doing that. Therefore say, or wherefore say, uh, behold, I give unto him, check this out, my covenant of peace. When you will judge sin, especially your sin, God will bestow upon you a covenant of peace. 
many Christians are not at peace because they have unrepented sin in their life because they will not judge themselves. And they'll go, well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm doing it right, Pastor. I'm doing it right. And all the while, in the back of their head, they know they're in sin, and therefore they have no peace. And I've sat with people, and I've looked at them, and I've said, well, there's a reason that you don't have peace. What is it? And I just, you know, keep working on them. And finally, they'll admit what the problem is. And I'm like, well, repent, and you'll be at peace. So he said, behold, I give, I give unto him my covenant of peace. So judging yourself, judging, stopping and looking at your life and saying, is there any idolatry, is there any idolatry in my life? Is there any sin in my life that I need to repent from? That will bring peace to your life. And if you have peace in your, if you have peace in you, then you also will. That will also push sickness away, because a lot of times sickness comes because of stress, because of worry, because of fear. In fact, if I understand it, the uh, stress is one of the biggest causes of sickness in adults today. Uh, you know, so you want that peace, and it says, and he shall have it, and his seed after him, even the covenant of an ever lasting priesthood an everlasting priesthood so not only did he get the covenant of peace but his children his grandchildren his great-grandchildren on down the line have that covenant of peace and he has a covenant of ever of being an everlasting priesthood in other words he said in the old this is old testament old testament and he said because you'll fight for me phineas I will make you my priest. How much do you know Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, we're made a royal priesthood? Through the blood of Jesus, we we occupy and we receive that same wonderful covenant. But here's the deal. When you come into Christ, sin also needs to be eradicated from your life. That's one of the earmarks that somebody is truly, 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 truly saved. I'm going to offend somebody. But here's the earmark that you can look at somebody and go, yes, they're actually saved because they'll have no sin in their life. They'll have no sin in their life. No active sin. Uh, You know, and it takes time. You know, people work some things. People tremble. But here's the deal. Once Once you get saved, you start working to get that sin out of your life. And when you trip, you repent immediately. And repent does not just mean, well, I asked God for forgiveness. No, it means you changed your mind, you changed your behavior, you changed your thinking, and you got in agreement with God, and now you control your body to behave the way that God tells you to behave. Uh, So that's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful healing there. Um, Let's go to Judges. We're going to look at this one. We're going to look at... um, so excited about this one. I'm just making sure I'm not missing one. I just want to make sure I don't miss one. Nope, we're good. Uh, this is a really cool one. Uh, and this one has to do with uh, Samson. So we're going to go to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. I find it very interesting that... The women that are barren in the Old Testament, and when God blesses them with children, their children are some of the coolest people. I mean, they are. You think about it. Think about it. Elizabeth was barren, and she birthed John the Baptist. Here, Samson's mother was barren, and and she birthed Samson. I mean, just some really cool things. 
You know, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah's the mother of, of all of the children of God, and she was barren. Um, was it Rachel that was barren that had the twin, had uh, had the twins Esau and Jacob? I mean, that's where Israel came out of. I mean, it's like, oh, this is so, like, like, come on, and uh, it's just so good, so good. So Judges chapter thirteen, um, we'll pick up right here in verse one, and it says, "And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord." This is this is the story in the Old Testament. Israel. God, God picks his people, Israel, they're serving him, they're doing right, God's blessing them, God's taking care of them, they have children, the children have children, and the next thing you know, the children and or the grandchildren are in sin, and before you know it, the whole nation is in sin, and they're in bondage, and they're whining and they're crying, oh God, oh God, oh God, God has mercy, God gets them out of it, they're, oh, bless, 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 love God, love God, God's taking care of it, God's taking care of it. They have children, they have grandchildren, children, grandchildren mess up. Before you know it, they're all in sin. Before you know it, they're all in captivity. And the cycle goes over and over and over and over. I'm like, you get past, you get, you get, you get just a little bit into the Old Testament and you think, would you people not learn already? We still aren't, we still haven't learned. We're seeing this in our nation right now. I mean, we're literally seeing this cycle in our nation right now. It's ridiculous. Any case. Uh, it says that the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the, <laughs> of the Philistines for 40 years. So here they are. They're in bondage for 40 years. It's like, come on now. And, and there was a certain man of Zorah, of, his, of the family of dainties, of, dainties, of dainties, whose name was uh, Manoah. And his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren, and thou bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. So here, uh, this, man, this angel of the Lord appears not to Manoah, but to his wife. And uh, verse 4, it says, Now therefore be... Uh, be aware, he said, beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine, nor strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Listen, we could have saved a whole lot of babies, a whole lot of problems with this fetal alcohol stuff if they would have just paid attention to the Lord. He said, uh, you're going to be pregnant, don't drink. Don't drink. Don't do it. It's like, hello, pay attention, people. Um, he said, don't drink anything. You know, basically, he said, don't drink the, he said, don't drink the fermented wine. Actually, he said, don't drink wine, which he told her, don't drink juice, don't drink the fermented wine. And he said, nor strong drink, which is the hard alcohol. He said, don't drink any of that. And don't eat, and eat not any, un, any unclean. Don't eat anything that's considered unclean that could cause sickness or disease. He said, for lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall Come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. In that day, at that time, the Nazarites were committed wholly to God. And God said, your son is going to be holy even from the womb. Doesn't that sound like John the Baptist? Doesn't this sound an whole lot like John the Baptist? Doesn't this sound like, this story sounds so familiar. 
And he shall bring, and he shall begin, look at this, uh, he shall begin uh, to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. He shall begin. How much do you know John began the work of, of deliverance for all of humanity? John the Baptist got people ready for the coming of Christ. So this is, a, this is the type and shadow. So Samson is actually the type and shadow of John the Baptist. And uh, verse 6, it says, Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. So she noticed that this man was very different. He says, and then she said, uh, Very trouble. In other words, when this man showed up, the fear and the awe of God came with him. But I asked him not whence he was, neither told, told he me his name. In other words, she said, I don't know where he came from. I didn't even think to ask his name. This is the situation. But he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and now drink no wine nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing. Is that not what the angel told her? She did good. She, she said, this is what he said. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Hmm. Uh, the, how much you know John the Baptist was uh, dedicated on to God to the day of his death? And not only that, so was Jesus. So Samson is not only a type and shadow of John the Baptist, but also of Jesus. And, uh, but, you know, John the Baptist began the work. Jesus completed the work. It says, then uh, Manoah entreated the Lord. In other words, he inquired, he prayed. He prayed. Listen, just because somebody comes to you with a story about God or an angel or something doesn't mean you just take it and run with it. It means you need to go to the Lord and talk to the Lord and find out, was this really, did this really happen? Was this really true? Lord, was this really you? He entreated the Lord and said, oh, my Lord, let the man of God, which thou didst send, Come again unto us and teach us that we shall do unto the child that thou shall be born. Now listen, he didn't ask that this was not this was not a talisman. This was not, you know, send me a sign. He said, Lord, this is what my wife is telling me, but I need to hear it from you for myself, and I need to I need you to teach me more. Teach me how to do what you have called us to do. And the husband hearkened to the voice, I'm sorry, and God hearkened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again unto the woman. Not to Manoah, but to the woman. As she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said unto him, Behold, the man hath appeared unto me. That cometh unto me the other day. And Manoah arose, and he went after his wife, he followed her, and came to the man, and said unto him, Art thou the man that spoketh unto the woman? And he said, and he said I am. Really said, I. And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. In other words, let's hear your words again. Let's hear, let's. And notice he said, let thy words come to pass. In other words, he was giving this angel permission to deliver the message and deliver what the Lord had sent him to deliver, is what he said. He said, now let thy words come to pass. He was giving the angel permission. 
He said, how shall we order the child and how shall we do it unto him? In other words, Manoah and his wife had to give permission to the Lord for them to have the child. Did you catch that? He said, he, he said, let thy words come to pass. And then he said, he said, okay, let us have the child. Because at this point, they had accepted their fate. But he said, okay. And I'm telling you, once you reach the point where you go, okay, we're not going to have children, you start living your life differently. You start thinking, okay, it's not going to be about the schools and about the kids. And it's going to be, you know, now we're going to have the freedom to kind of go do some things. And now you have to re you kind of have to back up and punt now that there's going to be a kid in the picture. And not only is there going to be a kid in the picture, but this kid is dedicated to God even from the womb. And he's going to begin, and, 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 God, and this angel, according to the wife, this kid is the kid that's going to begin to deliver them out of the 40 years of slavery that they've been in. So he's thinking, uh, this is a big task. <laughs> this is a big task. So he said, how shall we order the child or how shall we raise the child and how shall we do unto him? He was asking the angel, uh, does this child come with any instructions? <laughs> like, hello, Lord, <laughs> we need some instruction here. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, of all that I have said unto the woman, let her beware. She may not eat any that cometh. Check this out. She may not eat of anything that cometh of the vine. During her pregnancy, she was not even allowed to eat the fruit. She was not even allowed to eat the fruit. Anything that comes from the vine, you cannot eat it. See what? Does, I don't know why, uh, other than, you know, it probably has something to do with her sugars during pregnancy or something. I don't know. Uh, but he said, don't let her eat anything the vine. Let her uh, neither let her drink wine nor strong drink, nor let her eat any unclean thing. Basically, it was let this child be pure. Make sure that this child is pure, pure, pure. I will say this about not even being able to eat the fruit. Um, the Jesus said that the uh, that the juice of the vine is the lifeblood, the lifeblood, and basically he was saying. This child is to be pure. This child is not to partake in anything of the blood. You know, we use, we use grape juice today uh, to represent the blood of Christ. So he said this, this child has to be very, very pure. Very, very pure. And uh, let her not drink anything that's unclean, that's unclean. All that I command her, let her observe. He basically, he said, okay, Manoah said, what do we need to do? And he said, you need to do what I've already told her not to. I've already, I've already told her what to do. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee until we shall have made ready a kid for thee. Now check this out. This is, an, this is not where it says the angel of the Lord. This is not Jesus himself this time. This is actually an angel. And, 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 this is, and we know this because he said this. He said, I pray thee, let us detain thee. Let us detain thee. In other words, that angel had to hearken onto the order of Manoah. He came with a message, and until the message was received, and until Manoah released him, he could not go. And so Manoah said, uh, let us detain thee. Let us hold on to thee. And he said, I want to hold, let us hold on to thee. Uh, let us detain thee until we shall have made ready a kid for thee. In other words, 
Manoah wanted to sacrifice a uh, lamb uh, to this angel because he was seeing this, this angel as God. But check out what the angel said. The angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, though thou detain me, though thou detain me, he said, though, because you said you're going to detain me, I can't go. He said, I will not eat thy bread. And if thou will offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it unto the Lord. In other words, the angel said, "Uh uh-uh, you don't get to sacrifice to me. I'm not to be worshipped. Many, many people worship angels, and when you worship angels, that's an idol. This angel said, nope. He said, if you're going to give a sacrifice, you give the sacrifice unto the Lord. Now, if this angel of the Lord was the Lord Jesus, would he have told him that? No. No. He said, no. He said, if you're going to sacrifice, you, get, you send your sacrifice to the Lord. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, what is thy name? That when thy saying come to pass... We may do the honor. He wanted to honor the angel. He wanted to give the angel honor. And the, he, you know, and he's, he's trying to lift up this spiritual being. We get some insight into understanding angels here. And the angel of the Lord said unto them, Why askest, thy name, askest thus after my name, seeing it is a secret? In other words, he said, uh, If you know that I'm not going to tell you, you know that my, basically he's saying my name doesn't matter. My name does not matter. So Manoah took the kid with uh, with a meat offer. Took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon the rock or upon a rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously. And the and Manoah and his wife looked on. Uh, you know, basically uh, the Lord. Basically Manoah did a sacrifice to the Lord, and it says that the angel did wondrously in other words while the sacrifice was going up the angel worshiped right there in front of them the angel worshiped why because there was a sacrifice being made unto god and so the angel worshiped now why did the angel stay because manoah had not released him so here's a so so one of the jobs of the angels is to worship god when sacrifices go up and the sacrifice is going up, and he's detained. He can't go. So he does his job. He worships up, worships right there with Manoah and his wife watching him. And then it says in verse 20, it says, For it came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. In other words, when the sacrificial flame went up, that released the angel to go up. He went with the sacrifice, and his wife looked on it. And um, it says, And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife than Manoah knew uh, that, that he was an angel of the Lord. He understood what was happening now. And Manoah said unto his wife, we shall surely die uh, because we have seen God. You just watched an angel worship him, and now he's going to smack you down dead. Sometimes we get a little foolish in our thinking towards God. But his wife said unto him, If the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands. Neither would he have showed us all 
thing, all, th- all these things, nor would as at this time have told us such things as these. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. So how do we apply this healing to us? Well, when the Lord God sent, you know, when you could have a sickness, you could have a barrenness, you could have some problem in your life. But you know what? When you get a word from the Lord, you seek the Lord and you get a word from the Lord, even if your body does not respond immediately, it's a sure thing. It's a sure thing. Well, does that mean that I have to have an angel appear? No. You can be reading the word and get a revelation that healing belongs to you. This is why we meditate on the word. When that revelation hits your spirit, how much do you know? When the revelation hit their spirit that they heard that a messenger from heaven came, that was the moment that they went, we receive it. But did, the, but did Samson show up that day? No. No. They still had to walk out their faith. They still had to do their part. That she still had to, once they did their part, he had to be conceived. And then once he was conceived, she had to carry him to term. So when you get that, when you get that word from God, rather it's a knowing in your spirit, rather a minister lays hands on you and says the word is done, rather, rather God sends you an angel or God speaks to your heart directly, no matter what it is, when you get that word, you take it, you hold on to it. And now notice what they did. In their day, they gave sacrifices as praise. They killed the animal. They brought the barley and all that and the unleavened bread. They did all that. Um, In our day, our sacrifice is a sacrifice of praise. But it's not a, oh, yay, Jesus, thank you. It's a praise of just pouring your heart out. It's a continual praise until you have a knowing and a release in your spirit that it's done. See, they had a release. What was the release? They saw the angel go. The angel went, shh. They had a release. So uh, we continue to praise until uh, we get the release in our spirit, or better yet, we continue to praise until we get the manifestation. And then even after you get the manifestation, continue to praise so that Satan does not come to steal it. So that Satan doesn't come to steal it. Um, those are the only healings that we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, but I think those were good. We learned some, some good things about them tonight. Uh, you know, and thank God, uh, God's judgment is not the way it used to be in the Old Testament. Thank God. But at the same time, you don't want to tempt him uh, to the point of judgment in the New Testament. Because you don't want to check out of here prematurely. This is something you do not want to do. Well, so glory to God. We thank you, Father. We glorify you. We magnify you. We thank you, Father God. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. I'll tell you what. I know we do tithes and offerings at the end of the healing school. Uh, Tonight, if you have any, uh, you can come up and give them at the end of service. We're just going to pray over it and bless it. Um, And then, you know, once we dismiss, if you have an offering, you can bring it up. Uh, If you're giving online, um, the instructions are on on the screen. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we do love you and we do honor you. We do glorify you. We magnify you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth, Father God. And Father, we thank you that we are getting a bigger and bigger and bigger understanding of God in, uh, and of your healing, will, your will to heal, your power to heal, the different ways to receive healing. 
And Father, we thank you for it. Father, we bless every any tithes and offerings that are given tonight. We bless them in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you for the increase. Uh, and Father, we thank you that, uh, that it brings a harvest to our life in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. We're just going to unhook and dismiss, and we'll be back in here.